But it's good to see your guys' smiling faces this morning. It's good to see everybody here. Pastor Jerry called me, no, I don't know, sometime after 6.30 this morning. And I thought, that's odd. Pastor usually doesn't call me on Sunday morning. Something must be up. And I hear this croaky voice say, we have a problem. Oh, yes, we do. So him and, and Diane are home recovering from whatever gave them a fever and sore throats this morning. And so you get um, the B team, right? I told somebody this morning, this is, means I, it, it's, it's rely on Holy Spirit day. But that's usually every day. But today is going to be rely on Holy Spirit even more day, okay? Just so that you know. And if you happen to follow the weekly devotions, you're going to hear some similar things that I've said through this last week. Because I'm going to talk about this morning, this idea of noticing other people. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What would happen if RCN was not here? What would our community look like if our church wasn't here? Would it leave a hole in our community? And, and really that kind of leads us to another question, maybe a bigger question than that is, what is the purpose of the church? Not just our church, but all churches, God's church, his body. What is the purpose? Why does the church exist? And are we here at RCN living into God's design for his church? How do we do that? Those are really big questions. But there's something to think about. And so I want us to turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you would with me, please. Go ahead, Kevin, and go to that next screen. And we're going to read together um, chap, uh, verses 11 through 21. Because Paul, in his letter, had some things to say that I believe we need to hear this morning. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some would say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. May God's Holy Spirit add to his word this morning. Amen. It's this idea, the short and simple answer of it is this. 
really to both of those questions is that God wants to partner with you and with me to reach those around us who so desperately need to know his love and his grace and his truth. That's it. We can go to Sunday school class now, right? We're good. We just had church, right? I can end it right there, and that would be true. That is exactly what God's church is designed to do, to reach those who so desperately need to know. God, who can do all things, who created all things, who holds all things together, created his church for this very purpose. And it's one of the great mysteries of his love. He created us for relationship with him and relationship with each other. Not just those who believe in Jesus, We are to be in relationship with those who don't yet know Jesus, right? Did you hear God's word this morning? Since it's up to you and I, I want you to understand that God's word says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord. What does that mean? Well, if you've made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, and I'm talking about not just knowing about him, we can know a lot about Jesus. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of good books out there about Jesus. But I'm talking about really, truly make him Lord of your life. Know him. Submit to him. Then you know what it means to fear the Lord. That's not to be afraid of God. Although there should be a little bit of that in there, shouldn't there? Anytime in the Bible when the angels showed up, what did they say? Fear not. There should be a little bit, and they were talking about being afraid, you know. If, if, if an angel showed up to me today, I think I might step back, take a minute. I might hit the floor. I don't know. Maybe we've just seen enough movies. We just think it's another special effect hologram thing or something being projected, right? I don't know. But there should be a little bit about that. But that's really not what it means to fear the Lord. It means to stand in awe of him. It means that when you make him Lord of your life, you ask his opinion about what you're going to do, about how you're going to live. The other thing I heard God's word say this morning is that since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we no longer regard or look upon or see anyone else from a worldly point of view. Ah. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we often do that. We look and we see how others are different instead of looking and seeing how we're all the same. We look and see how maybe they don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, behave like us, be like us. And so what do we do? We tend to do the comfortable thing and hang out with the people who do look like us, act like us, talk like us, think like us, believe like us, behave like us, right? Because that's what we're comfortable with. It's a tough one. But here's the thing. Go ahead, Kevin, the next slide. Noticing others is the way we begin relationship. Whether they act like us, talk like us, think like us, believe like us, smell like us, look like us, doesn't really matter, does it? When we begin to notice other people from a godly point of view, that's the beginning of relationship. 
It's the first step in bringing someone closer to Jesus, closer to God. If you and I want to have an impact on the world around us, and, and let me explain to you, it, think about this for a moment. Take for a moment, if you happen to have a pen and piece of paper, which I'm pretty sure that Kathy Rose has kept our pews stocked now. We should have some scratch paper in there somewhere and pens or pencils in there, okay? I want you to think about this. I want you to write down five people who you know that don't know Jesus. If you can't write down five people that you know who don't know Jesus, we're in trouble. The church is in trouble. Because guess what? There might be 75, 80 of us here this morning. There are probably another 10 or 12, maybe 15 at the most online. If we all don't know four or five other people who do not know Jesus, this church dies. It gets snuffed out. The thing of it is, if we want to have an impact, we got to be intentional about who we're rubbing elbows with. We need to do the work in God's kingdom. God needs you and I to do this. Doesn't that sound silly that God needs something? But that's the way he designed it. We're going to have to start by building a relationship with others who do not know that, do not know Jesus. And that begins by noticing them. Do we notice others as Christ did? When Christ saw other people, he was moved to compassion. That's a deep emotion for the people he saw. That's not just, you know, pity. Oh, that's too bad. You know, have you ever met somebody and, you know, you've heard, you've probably heard that, oh, bless his heart. You know, that's kind of the pity thing, right? Oh, poor thing. Jesus was deeply moved. Compassion is deeply moved when he saw someone with a problem and an issue and he was moved. It caused him to stop. Think about the time him and his disciples had been ministering all day long. They had been healing the sick. They had been casting out demons. He noticed his disciples were getting tired. He was getting tired. He says, go on ahead of me across the lake. By the time Jesus gets there, there's a crowd there. He steps out of the boat. And what happens? It, the Bible tells us that he had compassion on them for he looked at the crowd and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, instead of trying, instead of actually getting them to rest... Jesus looked and thought, we can't rest. There's more to be done. Because they have no one to lead them. Maybe you have an acquaintance or two and you notice in the day that they're struggling. Maybe there are those around you who, are, who can't get through the whole day without having a breakdown. Noticing moves us to compassion and compassion moves us to action. It's about caring for other people. What's the reaction you get when you notice or see others? What's the reaction you feel when someone notices you? Think about that for a minute. How does it feel to be seen? How does that feel? Last Sunday, Pastor reminded us, about an interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? A wee little man was he. You remember, you guys all remember that. 
climbed up in the sycamore tree. Jesus said, hey, I'm coming for your house today, right? But look through all of Jesus' ministry in many different situations. Think for a moment. Jesus had this way about him in which he was intentionally looking for those around him who needed him. And I'm not saying we need to have a savior complex because we do not save, right? That's Jesus' job. And by the way, he's already done it. There's nothing that's going to be changed about it. it. It is what it is. He's just inviting us to come along with him in this ministry of reconciliation. We are agents on his behalf. We're sharing his story. There's another time Jesus recognized someone. I want to look at John chapter 3. It's a pretty famous chapter. I mean, we pay attention to John 3, 16, but do we pay attention to the verses like around that? So I wanted to read this story to you about this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not know these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. <clears throat> Nicodemus comes at Jesus. Probably a little differently than most of the Pharisees did that day. What were the other Pharisees doing? They were trying to trick him. Nicodemus has something in his heart that says, I got to have some questions answered. I got to know more. I got to understand. I've got to, I've got to hear Jesus 
but the only time it's going to be safe for me to do this is if I sneak out at nighttime when no one else can see. He's shrouded by the darkness of night. He goes to see Jesus because he's just got to know. And what happens? Jesus sees Nicodemus, right? When you and I take a moment to see others, God can work in us and through us. People have a story to tell. They have life questions that only a relationship with the Savior can answer. And guess what? You know the Savior. You know the one who has the answers. You could be the one that introduces your friend to him. But it's going to start when we notice the people around us. I'm not certain if you realize this, but evangelism is in and through almost everything that you and I do. Uh, Let me explain. This idea that evangelism is a street corner preacher or going door to door, uh, handing out religious tracts, I guess that could be a part of it. I don't know how effective that is, okay? But I'm not certain that that is what Jesus had in mind for his disciples, okay? He gives this parting command to his disciples. Kevin, if you could put up that next slide. Oops, boy, did I miss something there. I'm looking for Matthew chapter 28. I might have gotten something out of order. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." When we look at that command, we often focus on this word, go, okay? And we think that means we have to go to the deepest, darkest jungle, taking the gospel to the most heathen tribes, putting our lives in danger, you know, walking around where there's spiders and bugs and snakes and all those things that I really don't care for, right? Right? It's a little uncomfortable thinking about that. There is a part to it that is people who are called to be missionaries, they go to those places. But Jesus didn't say, and the Bible doesn't say, Jesus looked at those who had been called to be missionaries. He said, he spoke to the disciples and the disciples meaning all of them who were there. He had called the 11, right? He talked to the 11. He says, go do what I want you to do. Go do what I just did. Well, Jesus was there for about three and a half years, right? It took a little time. You know, if we look at that phrase more in the original languages, we might better understand what Jesus was telling the 11 to do and what I believe they've handed down to us today. Wherever you go in your everyday life, in all of your comings and goings, Go, do, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that's kind of weird. Does that mean we need to take around a little bottle of holy water and sprinkle them? Or 
Maybe we keep a bathtub in the back truck, you know, in the back of the truck, and we dunk them under because, you know, some of us, immersion is more important than sprinkling. The Church of the Nazarene, we, we really don't say how you have to be baptized, right? We just want you to be baptized, okay? I've seen people get a pitcher of water poured over their head. We had at one of the churches I was in a 90-year-old man who had come to Christ in the last months of his life and made Jesus Lord of his life, and he was in a wheelchair down at the altar, and, and Pastor or Orville uh, got his hands wet and kind of dripped water on him and baptized him. No care. The idea is, is that you're making a public confession about what's happened on the inside, Right? That's the, that's the point of this. So what does that mean, baptizing him in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Well, in Jesus' day, yes, water baptism was important. There was this understanding of, of this immersion under the water. John the Baptist, right, does this. And he baptizes, by the way, for something that no one ever had really done that before. He's baptizing for the repentance, right, the forgiveness of sin. But it also carries another meaning in this idea that we immerse the people around us in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You guys have heard preachers and teachers talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit from the bottom of your feet to your top of your head till the point that it's overflowing, right? I'm seeing some of you nod. Yeah, I've heard that before. Well, guess what? That's what, John, that's what Jesus is talking about. We are to take the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. And that the Spirit of God be so prevalent within us and through us that it gets on everyone around us. Or I should say, He gets on everyone around us. So this idea of immersing the people around you in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then that takes us to the next command and where Jesus says, um, teach the others around you to obey what I've taught you to obey. And then Jesus reminds them this one last little thing, and it is so important. It's probably the most important part of this message this morning in my simply, you know, sometimes my brain just has to break it down to simple things, right? He says, I will be with you. To the end of the age. We're still living in the age, folks. We're living somewhere between the end of the book of Acts and Revelation. We're still part of this. God is still writing his story. He's writing it on your heart and my heart. And there's an opportunity to write it on someone else's heart too. We don't do this alone. The very God who created all of this is with us. What Jesus is talking about here is evangelism. And I think it's a little bit different than what we think about it. Because yes, there are those people who have the gift of evangelism. The Bible's very clear about that. Paul is very clear about that. And you probably may have learned and known some of these people that are evangelists. That's different because not everyone is called to be an evangelist. I know. Paul talks about the body having many different parts. And when somebody struggles with what part they play in the body of Christ, I always tell them, is it okay if you're the elbow? Forget the feet. Forget the eyes. Forget the ears. Can you just be an elbow for Jesus? What does an elbow do? Well, if you smack it somewhere, 
They say you're smacking your funny bone, but most of the time it's not very funny when you smack it. It's only funny after you smack it, hop around on one foot, stub your toe, you know, do those kinds of things, right? Could you just be the elbow for Jesus? Not everyone's called to be an evangelist. I get that. We all do not have the abilities within us, the skills, the gifts, the talents, all of those things that make you and I, you and I, but we all are called to be a witness. And that's my next point here. Everyone called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be a witness. Kevin, do we have that on a slide? Did I get that one in there? Evangelism is not necessarily street corners. Evangelism is not necessarily, and I did this as a kid, knocking door to door and handing out those tracts. Did anybody ever get any of those? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, there's a few nods in here. I thought maybe it's only the Pentecostal churches that did that, you know? Living the Jesus way is evangelism. And it requires change. It requires that we change by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And guess what? If you are here today, if you are hearing me at home or wherever you are, and you are breathing, converting oxygen to carbon dioxide, you have blood pumping through your veins, you don't like change. It's called being part of the human race. We don't like change. I had somebody say that to me, and I said, guess what? Join the club. You're a human being. You don't like change. Neither do the rest of us. Be comfortable being uncomfortable, <laughs> because that's what we're going to go through, right? We got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, because guess what? God loves us, but he does not leave us where we are. He shapes us, he molds us, he changes us to be more like his son each and every day through the work of the Holy Spirit when we submit to him. There's a couple things I came away with from the story of Nicodemus. First is, Jesus is the bridge from life to death. I want you to look it up. Numbers chapter 21. Go home, look it up. Numbers chapter 21 is the story Jesus uh, refers to when he tells Nicodemus that he is going to be just like when Moses had to lift up the snake on the cross. Yeah, go back and look at that so too shall the Son of Man be lifted up. It's a very interesting thing. You see, being a Pharisee, Nicodemus knew exactly, because he had it memorized, exactly what he was talking about. The Israelites had sinned once again. They were sinning against God and sinning against Moses. And what happened? There was a bunch of snakes come out. And people were getting bit by the snakes, and they were getting sick, and they were going to Die. Some of them did die. God told Moses, fashion a brass snake on a pole. If you guys go to a doctor's office, you see it. It's that little symbol of the snakes on a pole, right? And he lifted it up. And it's very interesting because in the Old Testament, what the Bible says is, is that those who looked upon the pole lived. It didn't say that they were instantly healed. 
It did not say they did not feel the bite of the snake. It did not say they were not sick from the poison of the snake. It said that they lived. And in the same way, those of us who look upon the cross of Christ, we are going to still feel the bite, the poison, the sickness from sin in this world and in this life. It's all around us. It's going to have an effect on us. But the point is, we will live eternally if we believe. And, and I always take issue with that word believe. We, we get on this stuff and we say, yeah, I believe. But today, our vernacular, the way our language has evolved, we often interpose and interchange the word think with believe. There is a difference when I believe something, you're not going to change my mind. I'm kind of stubborn like that. It comes from my southern roots, I'm told. From my grandmothers. Well, both my grandfathers had said my grandmother. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. But you know what I mean, right? If I believe something, it's like it's in cement. If I think something... It means I'm still gathering information. I'm still not convinced. I'm still not sure. I'm still not certain. I think this, but I believe that. Okay? When we talk about believing that Jesus is who he says he is to the point of salvation, we're talking about I believe that in cement. I believe that he is the Messiah the very Son of God, born of a Virgin Mary, right? We believe that. It's unshakable. It's immutable. I don't know if that's the right word to say there. It's not going to change. Jesus is the bottom line. He's the bridge from life to death. And second, Jesus doesn't call me to condemn me. He calls me to change me. Those are two things I came away from Nicodemus' story. Jesus loves us so much, he doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to change us, to shape us, to make us more and more like him, which, by the way, takes a lifetime to complete. I've told this story, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, and I tell it again and again and again. If you didn't know Dr. Kratzer, I only met him like twice, okay? And it was at the same assembly, it was my very first district assembly when I was on staff with Kennewick. It was 2004. It was the 100th anniversary. They helped him up to the platform. And I couldn't tell you really a whole lot about anything else about that assembly except for we elected a couple of DSs that said no. And then they appointed us one that said yes, and we had him for a long time, right? We had Randy Craker for quite a while. But we were, we were DS-less for Five, six months, is that what about right? Bob, you remember that. But Dr. Craker said something I will never forget. He was in the last months of his life. It wasn't much longer, and he passed away. But he got up, and he was supposed to pray for the assembly, right? And if you know anything about preachers, give us a microphone. Give us an assignment. We're still going to preach, okay? He said, I was reading my Bible this morning, and God was teaching me. Now, this man had read his Bible through I don't know how many times. 
I couldn't tell you what he said after that because I stuck right there. I got stuck. And I instantly said, God, I want to be that. I want to be knocking on the door to heaven. And I want you to continue to be teaching me until I get. Guess what? God takes a lifetime to change us. Kevin, what's our next slide? My tablet just died, so we're going to try to finish this up. Ah, yes. I'm going to tell you a really quick story that's found in the Bible. It's found in the book of Mark. Okay? We can expect our lives to be interrupted. Do you have the scripture from Mark up there about the Phoenician woman? Yes. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the little children have all that they want. He told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Ooh, I always have a hard time with this scripture, by the way, because of that. But hang on. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. What I want you to notice about this is that Jesus, no matter where he was going, no matter what he was doing, his biggest ministry moments, I believe, were in the interruptions of the day. You and I can expect nothing less. And I also want you to notice that Jesus does use some words there that were like, uh, that doesn't sound very nice. But I got to tell you, if you read the whole story and you read Jesus's whole, what he did over his life, he did more to abolish the differences between you and I, male, female, young, old, master, slave. You know, Paul wrote about that a lot too. Jesus leveled it, didn't he? Didn't matter anymore. Because why? We're all God's children. When we're thinking about this, when we're noticing other people, Can we look upon them differently? We can expect our lives to be interrupted. I can tell you that as a person who was just adamant about time management, I just had to do things. I worked for McDonald's for too many years probably, right? But they taught you to manage your time like almost down to the second, okay? is about getting every drop of blood out of you they could, I think, some days. I, oh, I loved managing my time. And when interruptions came... That was not good for me. I had to learn that. In my, my second and third year of being a pastor, God really took me out to the woodshed and said, you better expect to be interrupted. And there are days that things don't get done, and guess what? It's okay. You know why? Because when that happens and the Holy Spirit comes into this, boy, how do you should watch things change. It's amazing what we do when we submit.
So I want you to remember those three things that we had up on the screen. Kevin, I don't know if you can jump back and hit them all, all three and flash them up there as we end this service. We, we have to remember that noticing others is the way we begin relationship. And when we do that, we have compassion, and that compassion moves us, right? It moves us to take action. You may not be able to solve all the problems. I can't solve all the problems. But we know the one who can, don't we? Because he solves the problem. Every one of us, each and every one of us are called to be a disciple of Jesus. And if we're called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called to be a witness. The way we live our lives day in, day out matters. And then the last thing is we can expect to be interrupted. Let's take time to notice others. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time together. I thank you, Lord, that you have been with us. And, and Lord God, that you have given us a message today. Lord God, that helps us to remember that we need to be about your business. That we need to live the Jesus way. And to do that, to live the Jesus way, means that we need your Holy Spirit to do a deeper work within each and every one of us so that you can work through us to the benefit of those around us. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for all that you've done. And we thank you and praise you in advance for what you are going to do. Because we believe that you are not finished with us yet. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah of the world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. And we do that by the power of your Holy Spirit living in us and through us. Amen.